Now, good morning. So as I said, I'm going to try to share some of these uh, different um, ideas. So I was just, uh, I mean, I've told you before that I use uh, fountain pens uh, for uh, Carl Jung's active imagination uh, for the I Ching because, again, when I started using the I Ching 30 years ago, I had no idea that Carl Jung used it, but um, I loved fountain pens as a kid, and, and when I learned about the Fude, which is it's just, it just means brush, um, a Fude fountain pen nib could uh, uh, draw these characters, right? It, it, uh, it meant I didn't have to use markers uh, anymore. So I watch a number of um, uh, fountain pen uh, channels, uh, and this morning there was one gentleman who shared architect nibs, which... Again, they'd be perfect for uh, drawing uh, Sino-Japanese characters, the Oracle Bone Script. Or, as I said before, uh, Carl Jung's Red Book was a combination of art, uh, text, um, you know. So, what was funny is, uh, this morning, one of my, uh, one of the uh, channels that I follow uh, put up a video, and he mentioned that he's being encouraged to put up shorter, shorter videos and use simpler language. And what's funny is... Um, uh, I, I've mentioned this before, um, about five years ago, I actually had to begin begin to learn to read and write. Um, I mean, I was able to learn everything I've learned. I mean, I, I was uh, in finance for, for years, uh, but I had to learn uh, with audiobooks exclusively. I was unable really to, I mean, arguably what's funny uh, is uh, having worked in finance for 20 years, I only composed maybe a half dozen letters in all that time. And most of the time I actually used an app, uh, like when I was in mortgages. Uh, I had access to uh, an, an application that actually just auto-filled these letters for me. And I just had to change the date, change the name, and this sort of stuff. Um, so I didn't realize until, well, and I'm going to explain in this uh, comment that I left, uh, my story and uh, where this came. So yeah, I, I became a banker. I had uh, all these degrees. Um, well, but they were specifically only in areas that I could access. I said early on, um, the CNIB, the Canadian Institute for the Blind, did a lot of uh, audiobooks, uh, and um, volunteering for them gave you access to the books. And I think they've come to realize that uh, because they had this wealth of audiobooks, they could share that with uh, people that are disabled or people who, you know, blind people, um, obviously, but uh, people with lower vision, they, they began to realize that uh, dysgraphia, dyslexia is, is essentially the same thing. It's just your, your eyes, your lying eyes, right? That's why I relied so much on audiobooks, right? Because I just, I was able to get the information a lot better. So the gentleman mentioned this, so I'm not going to mention... Uh, I'm sorry, I just rambled. So he mentioned that uh, people have short attention spans, so you want to uh, cater to that short attention span. Um, but what he's really saying is, on the platform, uh, they care how many uh, minutes of your video a person watches. So if you put up a three-minute video and they only watch one minute, well, then they've watched one-third of the video. But if you're like me and put up an hour-long video and they only watch, say, 16 minutes, well, they're only watching, you know, 15%, uh, 10% or something of the video. So it's actually worse for you. Even though they're watching 10, like my numbers uh, are 
10x what the average is, right? I have people listening to, oh gosh, uh, well, they're telling me the average is 35 seconds on some of these videos, for example, uh, right? A couple minutes, and, and I mean, the last video I put up, uh, the, the average is about 16 minutes that they're, they're listening to in a 54-minute video. And I understand what's going on there because I jump around in some videos. I might come back to a video later. So it's only showing when, like, for example, with me, like if, if it's an hour long, and that's where, where these platforms fail. If it's an hour long video, who's sitting there for an hour and a half and watching it all the way through? Very few. More likely, people are consuming it in bits and bytes. But that's where this metric fails, right? Because when you assume that each time someone comes to watch, that's a different person, then you forget that, yes, I may have come back to the video three different times um, to finish watching it, but I'm the same person. Same as I've noticed with uh, YouTube sometimes, uh, you have to reload the page if you leave it in a background tab, well then that's going to show as two separate people watching the video. right? So I've mentioned this before, it's Campbell's Good Arts Law, like when the uh, when the measure becomes the target, the, the measure is, is worthless. So in this case, um, if, you're, if you're catering to short attention spans, um, you're failing. Now, the other thing he mentioned is that you want to write for a grade 8 level. And that's a misunderstanding I had myself. I've told you this before. When I began learning how to write, uh, read and write, but write particularly was the toughest for me because I'd never written in my life, really. Um, I started using something called the Hemingway app. And uh, so what that does is it gauges your writing. So what I would do is I'd use um, social media as a writing prompt, right? Because again, having been uh, sick uh, for 10 years, I didn't have access to, and being Canadian, I didn't have access to some of the resources many other people have. Um, so I just used what I had access to for writing prompts, right? I found out since that there are journals that provide writing prompts, so that's kind of cool. But for me, I used social media, right? Uh, if there was an article or an insight, um, yeah, I'd use it to write. And then uh, when I heard about Hemingway app, I took some of my writing, which I have. I have lots of writing. I should actually just put it together. Even though it's terrible, I should put it together into a... And that's what I'm trying to learn here. I have a, a server now, and I have some domain names, and I'm trying to learn how to do that now, too. So not just learn how to write, which I think I'm, I've just about gotten to. Um, now learning how to share this stuff. Right, so here is a comment that I left as relates to this. Um, because at one time I would have written uh, this text that I'm going to read. If I had put it into the Hemingway app, it would have rated me, and I'm not kidding, it rated me like grade 17. And the first time I did it, I thought, oh my God, I'm so awesome, I'm so smart, grade 17. But it's, it means that you have to be in grade 17 to be able to read your writing. And I've explained this before, um, because of my learning disability, uh, severe dyslexia, dysgraphia, like, I mean, even today I mentioned, uh, I've been using, uh, Scribd, the app for books and audiobooks. And I think they think I'm scamming them because I consume two, three, four books a day now. So I think they think I was, I'm ripping them off because now all of a sudden books that I had access to, like the Skeleton Key to the Finnegan's Wake, the audiobook, that's awesome for me. Uh, it was available and then all of a sudden everything is going to be available once I'm a paid member because I'm in the 30-day free trial. 
I've considered uh, just ending the trial and paying because it's well worth it and so I can access all these wonderful books. Um, but we'll see. But Scribd, again, audiobook uh, and book app. <sighs> wow. It's, it's such an ableist uh, thing. If you look at it, I'm not actually making fun. But B, lowercase b and d. I'm so dyslexic, I cannot tell them apart. I've had to memorize, which is how I read, actually. I memorize each word by what it looks like. And you've probably noticed that if I've ever been reading. Sometimes I will telegraph, because I read ahead as well. Uh, I misread a word, because it looks like something else. Right? So there was a time I thought, oh my God, you're doing so great, because, you know, I, I said I was like E.E. E. Cummings, right? I, I learned the rules so as to break them, but no, I, I just uh, applied punctuation uh, willy-nilly, uh, and only I could read. And But that's when I realized I needed to do something, because even I had trouble reading my own stuff, right? But as I said, I'd pop my, uh, my uh, comments into the Hemingway app, and it would say, oh my gosh, you're, uh, you're grade uh, 17 or something like that. And I thought, oh my God, that's so great. Especially when you read what they say. They say um, grade 17 means you need to, uh, need to be uh, educated to grade the 17 to be able to understand what the person was trying to say. So when they say that on the social media platforms, you should write at a grade eight level. What that means is you should make it so that it's as, uh, as simple as possible for people to read so that they don't have to have high levels of education. So this, um, it's funny here. So here's an idea. I haven't touched uh, and I haven't tried to simplify anything in the comment because I just, just literally spit this out a uh, moment ago. All I did was uh, clean up um, my spelling. Didn't touch any of uh, my paragraphs. Uh, but I have uh, 539 words. Um, I have four adverbs. They want you to aim for zero or fewer. So honestly, in 539 words, four adverbs is pretty good. Um, but I could get it down uh, to less. Uh, that's how you simplify the reading. Uh, the, the writing, which I'm going to read, uh, has five uses of the passive voice, meeting the goal of five or fewer. Right. So I could get rid of a couple of the passive uh, voices right to it's you know use less of the I I use a lot of I or, and we it's just my affect then it says seven phrases have simpler alternatives well yes I mean I love to talk uh, talk silly uh, and I love the sound of, of, of the words I mean I I endeavor to be a, a modern uh, philologist uh, right uh, language and uh, and uh, classics so one of 27 sentences is hard to read. I mean, that's amazing if you think about it. In 27 sentences, only one of them is hard to read. And as I said, when I first started this, if I were to put this into the Hemingway app, uh, it would be 27 to 27 were hard to read. And, and then the final is five of 27 sentences are very hard to read. Well, that's a pretty much given because I used a lot of brackets and commas, but that's because I'm listing things, right? So it's a little bit in between. But as I said, this is uh, 539 words that I put on uh, a social media, uh, and I just popped it into the Hemingway app, which is HemingwayApp.com, and it gave me a readability of grade 9. 
right? 539 words. So that's fine. Just a couple of uh, paragraphs are tougher to read. And I'll give you a, a little insight as we go. So hey, it's actually going to maybe share the Hemingway app, which I've used to teach myself. Because uh, I used Grammarly and I found it corrected, but didn't really help you learn how to write uh, and use grammar. Whereas I find Hemingway app really does help. Um, so, so this is what I wrote about um, someone uh, doing a review of a fountain pen, but specifically said he's doing shorter videos because he's been told they need to do shorter videos. And um, to write, and I guess what he means is script, should be at a grade 8 level. And so here we go. So this is what I'm about to read. It is technically at a grade 9, listed as a good. So again, if I were to minimize the hard-to-read sentences, uh, phrases that are, uh, have simpler alternatives, I would be grade 5. I can get her down to grade 5 or 6. But that being said, the reason why you want to be at grade 8 or 9 is not because most people are at that education level, but the real reason is most people... Um, don't want to put in too much higher order thinking to be able to read something, right? So they may be at a grade 12, 12 level reading if they're um, activated and, uh, and, and focused. But if they're just reading passively, it's got to be much simpler. But here's my response to um, encouraging people to have an even shorter attention span and not challenge them uh, on their reading and comprehension. So as I say, and here I go, a quote. You know as well as I that catering to short attention spans will only lead to shorter spans. With reading, and I love that, because remember, span is, is also like something that connects or disconnects, right? Because the span is the distance between. But it also can be what connects, but neither here nor there. So you all know, so you know, as well as I, that catering to short attention spans will only lead to shorter spans. With reading, as with children, we should always be challenging the reader, just above their skill level, so they are encouraged to grow. I liken it to my early education. They assumed a dyslexic, dysgraphic student could not learn as a typical could. And in brackets I put, there is only atypical minds. And that's something I've talked about in previous podcasts that... Uh, we need to realize that no two people uh, are alike, so no two ways to learn. And I continue. I say, uh, thus, never learning to overcome their limitations, right? Because they, they teach uh, people with uh, learning disabilities that they can't overcome it. They're going to have to work around it rather than uh, working around it until you can overcome it. The truth is anything is possible within reason if we believe in ourselves. We are either learning or winning, growing or shrinking, atrophy. I was told that French immersion was contraindicated for learning disabilities. And just as a side note, um, because I was so severely dyslexic, uh, but very verbal, they missed it for years. Uh, and so I, I ended up uh, falling between the cracks, as it were. So they told me because of the French immersion, I shouldn't have been put in it, and that's what would keep me from being able to go to college because it made my dyslexia worse because I had to learn in French. But, so I continue on. I have multiple degrees, almost exclusively self-directed, 
and learn not just one additional language, but have learned to translate multiple languages so as to read books in the original. Well, the reason why I mention this is um, this is what most people talk about how amazing James Joyce was because not only was he uh, trained in the classics, uh, he himself, like I, went and uh, studied Greek on his own, became very uh, proficient. But most importantly, the story that people talk about is him learning Norwegian so he could read and, and well, uh, communicate uh, in letters uh, with uh, Henrik uh, Ibsen. And the reason why I chuckle is there's a politician who's saying he learned Norwegian um, so he could read a book, and I just chuckle, right? Because being trained in classics and being a big fan of James Joyce, I knew right away that's just a, it's a, a bold-faced lie because never once has this politician ever talked about... the. Right? For me, I learned to translate German because I adore Nietzsche. I've read everything Nietzsche has ever written so many times I could probably never count. And I'm even including his journals and all this jazz. Right? So for me, it opened it up further. Same as the, uh, the Chinese Book of Change. Right? I wanted to learn to read into the characters so I could learn um, the meaning. Right? I've talked about this before that I'm a fan of sumo. And even within the Japanese culture, uh, they say hakioi, and they think it just means something to do with sumo. I've mentioned this before with basho. Basho is place, but more commonly understood as uh, the tournament for, for sumo, but it's much deeper than that. Hakioi actually means uh, your best chance, like good luck, but a propitious opportunity. It goes back to the Chinese Book of Change because the character that is pronounced hake in uh, Japan is bagua in, uh, in the Chinese, which actually is referring to uh, the, the hexagrams of the Chinese Book of Change. So it's talking about propitious or destiny. Right? But this has been lost to history. Right? But I'll continue on. So I, I've translated... The Zen, a Zen Sutra from Chinese into English for the first time in history. And again, as I said, this politician's never mentioned why he learned. Why did I want to translate? Not so that I can go around and saying, hey, well, I did this a couple years ago and I've never mentioned it, so it's not for ego. I translate it because I found out, hey, there's this Zen Sutra called um, uh, Sutra of uh, um, Zen Sickness. Or I can't remember exactly... Uh, how I translated the title, but that's what they were talking about. It was talking about um, healing uh, Zen sickness, as it were. And so, of course, I wanted to read it and found out that there was no translation available. So I translated it myself, right? And I was right. Um, the 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 illness that that plagues the Zenies, right? And so it's probably why it's never been translated, um, because it it actually. Uh, uh, chides uh, the practitioners for, for having uh, lost uh, the goal. Right? So that's why I learned uh, to translate uh, Chinese, not just to read into the characters, but more importantly so that I could read uh, the content of these books. Not so that I could say I've read this book or say I've translated, but I wanted to know what the book said. Right? Same as James Joyce. He adored Ibsen. So he wanted to read it in the original language, and he became such a fan he wanted to um, uh, correspond with him. So there's a reason why. 
But when someone says they speak a language or they learned a language and there isn't a reason behind it, you have to question that, right? I mentioned before about uh, there was some American presidents who have claimed they uh, spoke French. But if you've heard them, oh boy, no. <laughs> Most certainly not. But I go on and I say that I translated a Nietzsche or I've translated Nietzsche's work so as to show his true meaning and intention. I've talked about this before. Um, it's, it's, it's a common misunderstanding uh, to the lay people, it seems. Most scholars understand uh, Nietzsche's will to power, Willen Macht, is related to, you know, Schopenhauer and, uh, oh God, it's really related to a lot of uh, people before, but this idea of uh, intention, I mean, will, intention, um, motivation, um, I mean, even your, your action, in a sense. So what powers your will, what powers your desire, what powers your, your goals, your actions, right? Uh, uh, Macht in German being more propel than power. Power as in like um, a power plant, not power as in power over others, right? That is an affect that people will do uh, to get a sense of, of control to their lives. But Nietzsche spoke on this. That's not a true control. It's a cope. Right? So as I said, if you've learned to translate a book, why? Right? Because you should, as I said, if you have put the time in to learn another language because you wanted to read this book, then you should be able to tell me what you loved about that book in English and why you wanted to read it in its native tongue. Right? So, and I say, and I continue on, right? This true meaning and intention, which I said is to empower us to find meaning and value in life. And I continue. And my studies of the Chinese Book of Change has led to a deeper understanding of the characters that multiple languages are based on. I mentioned that before, about the Hakioi, Basho, which was a, a term used by the Kyoto School that was trying to... Uh, they say bland or what have you, but just to show you, show the synergy, in my opinion, between Zen philosophy um, and, and Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche's uh, philosophy is, is heavily influenced by the same philosophy that influenced Zen. So it's not a surprise. But I continue on, and I say that, plus, uh, we are opening up the practices Carl Jung used to write and heal with his red book. That's the Liber Novus. None of this was considered possible. It all began when my doctor told me he had exhausted all avenues to heal. Sorry. Uh, it began when my doctor told me he had exhausted all avenues to heal an auto-inflammatory disease. I was left to learn, to read, and to use a computer so I could read the studies and the research as relates to my uh, autoimmune disease, auto-inflammatory disease. Uh, as a result, the disease that had either pills or surgery for treatment alone, that's the only options there were, now has the diet and lifestyle that has shown the most benefits, which was an, an, an opinion that had me banned from groups for even suggesting. Zinc, 
from a study that doctors ignored for years, not only for inflammation, but also for immune, right? So zinc uh, supplementation can help both uh, people suffering from autoimmune disease and autoinflammatory disease. But this is something that doctors weren't recommending when I began healing my disease. It's only been something that's uh, become part of the zeitgeist in the last couple of years. And I found that uh, paper on zinc, uh, God, almost 10 years ago now. So not only for inflammation, but also for immune and allergies and food sensitivities are a much broader issue than we ever assumed, right? This is a big deal uh, that most people don't understand. I go on and say, recent examples have shown how much I have learned. I discovered diamine oxidase for use with my allergies and inflammation. It's, uh, it's uh, for, for fighting, uh, well, not fighting. It helps manage histamine. And I go on. I found it from a study on Tulsi, which is holy basil. I applied it to a related plant. In this case, happens to be mint. I've done this for years, using mint as an antihistamine, anti-inflammatory. And I've said this in my podcast many times. Uh, my social media, I've shared. Uh, it's years I've been using the mint. And I go on and say, only last year, has a doctor published a book about DAO for inflammation and histamine. And in brackets, I put it's mast cell sensitivity. And just to let you know that when I first mentioned this belief that uh, my inflammation is tied to my, my severe allergies, my histamine, maybe even some mast cell sensitivity, my doctor laughed at me. Same as he laughed at me a few years before that when I suggested that I needed to find a replacement for histamine, antihistamines because it was messing with my microbiome. In fact, I told him how important the microbiome was and I brought in an empty pill bottle because I explained that it's not just uh, probiotics and prebiotics, but it's, it's a multi-spectrum that's required uh, to help with mood, with the microbiome. It produces all your uh, neurotransmitters and it helps with uh, inflammation. He laughed at me with that as well. And I had to uh, tell him, aren't you going to mark down the... And so he wrote it down, just I guess to shut me up, uh, proof positive later because he totally forgot uh, that we discovered I was allergic to PEG uh, and he had forgotten about that. I mean, that's a big deal because I told him how I had, had to uh, find a, an alternative source of uh, toothpaste, an alternative source of uh, deodorant because... It was actually causing a severe reaction, a severe, a noticeable reaction. Um, and if I hadn't begun to eliminate all sorts of other issues and begun to heal my microbiome and uh, consumed all that mint so I could put uh, mast cell, uh, got mast cell unchecked and managed my histamine, it wasn't until I did that that I was able to notice that um, a particular, and actually it wasn't until I had the money uh, uh, to be able to buy uh, you know, better deodorant. And it wasn't until I noticed that when I used this deodorant, it caused a reaction. When I used this one, I didn't. And then what I noticed is, oh, lo and behold, one has PEG and another did not. And right down that whole rabbit hole, I've even eliminated some other chemicals because once I eliminated that, I noticed some other issues in different areas, right? So this is why I've said the most important thing is agency and healing. You need to be your advocate and your healer. Right? But I carry on. And I quote, Only last year, a doctor has published a book about DAO for inflammation and histamine, as well as the mast cell sensitivity. But they recommend pea shoots for the DAO 
source. This is a much lower concentration than mint or Tulsi. I mean, it's right in the data. And it's much harder to grow for oneself and to consume. My solution was to make tea all day. Replace water with mint tea. Can't get any, any easier. I mean, you can grow mint a lot easier than pea shoots. Or just, you can buy mint tea almost anywhere. Pea shoots, not... I was buying them in the store, but trust me. The amount of mint tea that you can consume compared to, to uh, pea shoots... Never mind pea shoots. Uh, they really are uh, sensitive to... Uh, Right, you got to buy them uh, and eat them within a couple days, uh, or you got to grow them uh, and be planning arguably a week or two in advance to make sure you have enough for every day. Whereas my mint tea, even during the lockdowns uh, and all of the borders being shut down, I mean, I was still able to access mint tea. It wasn't the, uh, the really good organic that I really like, but I was still able to get a mint tea. So I go on. I said, uh, right, this is a pretty big deal since inflammation is the next major issue of our times and mood issues. Right? So I said, from the mouths of babes, this idea that, uh, you know, amateurs, right, this is a lesson of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Not just that amateurs think they're experts, but the hubris of the experts are as much a risk to the pursuit of knowledge. As C.S. Pierce said, doubt is the first rule of logic. And I paraphrase Nietzsche. Specialists are a risk to society. We need more masters of none. So we do not have people with giant ears to hear, but without eyes to see or mouths to speak. That's, that's what I wrote. So that's my insight, as I said here, um, Oh, I don't know what I did. I actually took out, I took out a sentence that wasn't supposed to be in it, and it made it to grade ten. Right, but what's funny is, it's really not that hard. Watch, uh, you can really uh, just put a period here, or, uh, change a, a word. Oh, watch! So I can just take out one word. Yeah, it doesn't take a lot to change. So, that was uh, what I wanted to share. The idea that um, beliefs, either instilled by others, institutions, or even uh, one's own, those are the true limiting beliefs. I mean, I'm not going to go so far as a Sartre or Foucault to, to say that you can invent anything you want. Right? But there is a case to be made that, uh, well, I liken it to uh, placebo. If you believe in the potential of any protocol that's been proven by healing, anything they test, uh, you get about 30-some percent of people will see benefits from it just because they believe in it. So it's a combination of placebo, that's about 20%, plus the buying in. I mentioned this with the doctor who just recently wrote about uh, psychedelics in a couple of different books and doesn't understand it. Because it's not the psychedelics 
that that's the healing. It's the buying in. It's the belief that it's going to help. Right? I mean, we've shown this in studies that um, you can give someone a sugar pill and it works. But you know what works even better? Give them something that will give them some sort of indication that they took something. The common thing is niacin. If you give somebody niacin, they'll actually notice, uh, you know, flushing of the skin, the tingling, that sort of stuff. I get uh, jumpy and, and fidgety and stuff. That has shown uh, itself to be an incredible uh, boon to healing, right? I mean, uh, I've talked about this before. Believe it or not, we're predisposed um, to heal if we consume a medicine that is bitter. It's really quite weird. It's because most medicines are bitter. But at the same time, so are many poisons. But I mean, the difference between medicine and poison is in the dose. So there's an argument to be made, like how much of just the bitter perception of a compound plays into the healing, right? Because if everything's on a spectrum, and we could see it this way, depending on how bitter a medicine is, either dictates the amount of healing or maybe even one step further, how poisonous it may be. But that's all I wanted to share. Um, just a little bit of an insight as to where I come from. Uh, I began studying uh, Buddhism when I was young because, uh, as I said, they, they told me to go into something different. They didn't think philosophy and, and that sort of stuff would be for me. I tried to get into the Royal Military College here in Canada. I wanted to be a peacekeeper. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to save lives. Is really what I wanted to do. But uh, because my marks... Uh, weren't 94% or above, um, I didn't get in. I was invited to join the infantry, but you can imagine what I thought of that. See, my father was uh, an enlisted man, hated officers, and my grandfather was an officer, and my father hated him. So <laughs> it was a weird dynamic. Uh, needless to say, I wanted to go in as an officer, uh, not because of the family dynamic, but because I felt they needed, well, actually that's going to be my next podcast. I'm going to talk about um, peace and war, right? Uh, and stated, um, stated intentions, right? I think the next podcast I'm going to do, I'm just going to share, um, again, like I said before, perspectives in, in statistics and propaganda. In this case... It's uh, sheer propaganda uh, that's risking global uh, war, which is sad. But I bid you adieu, and uh, thank you for your time, and have a wonderful day.